Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick. And joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. It's not a victory Monday, Old Glory DC on a bye. So what did you do this weekend, man? What's up? Well, I went out to the CRC 7s, which was at the Maryland Soccer Plex out near Gaithersburg, Maryland. And um, I think they said 300 matches, 122 different teams, just all the sevens action you could imagine. Did it you, was, did you really bring a poncho? <laughs> I did not, because I went on Saturday after the rains were done in the morning and I mean yeah it was it was nice and sun it was kind of cloudy at first but then cleared up nice and sunny towards the end yeah wonderful experience so many people there um, and honestly I really like the Maryland soccer plex it's so you know Old Glory currently plays at Segra Field a point of contention for a lot of fans because it's it's really far away and I was looking at I've been looking at other other possible venues where Old Glory could play and, and considering the options and I'd sort of written off the Maryland Soccer Plex because it's it's sort of not that much closer when you think about it it's, it's distance from the end of the metro like it's not that much closer than Segra Field is but I have to say way easier to get to on public transit it took me about an hour and 20 minutes all told but there was to take the metro take the bus from the end of the metro not hard to get there and then the actual stadium itself is really really nice there's a grassy area i can see it becoming a like, i want all glory to sell picnic tickets like a picnic pass bring the family have a picnic and some rugby I feel like it could be a really cool place for Old Glory to move. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know whether the, it's available or, you know, what they would have to get get past to, to get there. there. There's always always potential for hidden problems in a place like that. But, yeah, it was really nice. Well, we know how you feel about stadiums. For those who, who, who haven't read it, a few weeks ago, <laughs> you, you had a nice little... Um, article about what Old Glory DC should do in terms of playing at different stadiums, just looking at different options. I really like the proposal you put forth about, hey, at least trying to play a game at Audi Field, which is in DC, which is home of the Washington Spirit and DC United. Makes a ton of sense. Um, I love that. If you haven't, go back and read that. Two, what Alistair went to over the weekend was National Collegiate Rugby, one of the college rugby uh, leagues, if you will, uh, that runs uh, rugby and in college from Division One, Two, and, and small college. They put on their seventh championship. First time it was held in the D.C. area. Um, despite the weather, it sounds like attendance was awesome, and there was the action looked really good despite all of the, the wet rain. And it's coming back next year, if oh. you missed it this year. Um, sounds like they have a, a multi-year agreement to play a, the soccer plex, so it'll be back again next year nice 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 well let's turn our attention now to old glory dc through 11 rounds old glory four wins five losses third in the eastern 
conference, a game in hand over the number two seed, which I believe is Nola Gold. They've got one point on us right now. But AKP, according to your computer models, what are the current playoff odds as we head into a very critical and exciting stretch of the season? Yeah, so the, the buying week was very generous to us. Yes. New York losing was has made a huge difference to the playoff odds. NOLA's currently at the top with 85%, and then we are, well, I mean, if you ignore New England, New England's at the top of the hunt. So NOLA is, is, is second with 85%. We're in third place with 80% chance of getting in, and then it drops significantly to Atlanta with just 23% chance to get in, and New York just at 12%. Chance. Wow. Because basically we've got a game in hand over them they're only a, a couple of points behind us but we have a game in hand and they don't play us again in the regular season and um basically the model doesn't think they're very good anymore so it yeah it's tough for new york but this was a must-win game for them and they lost it they needed to at least come out with bonus points and they scored enough Lowest scoring game in MLR history, too. The New York Ironworkers losing to the New England Free Jacks 8-0. to zero. Certainly a tough place to play when you go up there and, and play New England. They do not lose very often. Although, historically in the past, they have lost to New York um, at home. But, I mean, again, just we've, we've talked about this over the last few episodes. Just night and day difference between this time last year and, the, and, and now. I mean, the simple fact that we're heading into round 12 with an 80% chance of making the playoffs, well, I'm excited because, um, and we're going to get to it here in a little bit later on in the episode, um, what the playoff stretch looks like, and we're going to break it all down. But first, what I'd like to do now is, Alistair and I were busy during the bye week. We did not rest on our laurels. We decided to have an interview with Old Glory DC Lock Stand South. As we all know, Stan South, um, his role has changed a little bit on the team. He had the injury. He's going to miss the rest of the season, but he's still actively involved, helping us scout, helping us improve uh, the line out and just being an overall good locker room presence. We had a very fun interview here, so kick it over to the interview with Old Glory DC Lock Stan South. All right, we are now joined by Old Glory DC Lock Stan South. Stan, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, going all right. Enjoying, uh, enjoying a bit of downtime at the moment. Bit of downtime, right? We're right now in in the bye week. Old Glory, four and five, two straight wins on the bounce, which is awesome. AKP quickly. I know we're going off script already, but what are the playoff chances right now for Old Glory DC according to your computer model? So my model has a, a sixty-seven percent chance. Which I think right. it's pretty good. I like those odds, Stan. What do you think of that? <laughs> Yeah, mate. You know, beginning of this year, we said we wanted to get into the uh, get into the playoffs and obviously win it. So, yeah, you know, 67 percent is pretty good. Um, obviously, a couple of hard ones this season, um, but the thing that's that's definitely kept us in the running is is getting a bonus point in near enough every game. I think there's only one game where we didn't get a bonus point. So, you know. They're definitely keeping us in it, but um, yeah, we're starting to to climb that hill now, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great to see. I want to give a little bit of a listeners of kind of your prior playing experience. So I'm I'm kind of list them off here: England U20s, Harlequins, Exeter Chiefs, time in the top fourteen. 
it's it's been a while since you, you joined the team. I believe you joined in the 2021 year, but give the listeners who may not know about you a little bit about your your journey in rugby from your, your days playing in England to now here uh, stateside in MLR. Yeah, so I left high school when I was uh, 17 and then went straight to the Harlequins Academy uh, and then started playing professional rugby from there. Um, I did five years with Harlequins, um, which was pretty good and obviously got loaned out to a few different different teams. Uh, then went down to Exeter for, for a year, played around there, which is yeah, pretty enjoyable. And then, yeah, I did a bit of time at Edinburgh, but that was just before COVID hit. So I didn't get to, I only stayed, played two games there, which is uh, unfortunate, but that was still pretty cool. And obviously playing in a different country. And then, yeah, that's been, no, I think it was, it was only about two months. I got brought in to uh, to breathe in, in France. So I played, yeah, about two months there and then, and then came over and, um, yeah, started playing every game, enjoying it every minute, and actually enjoying the the way the Americans live over here as well. I, I, I got to ask you quickly: Did you ever think, when you started your rugby journey, that you would be playing professional rugby in the U.S.? Like, did that thought ever like cross your mind? No, no, not at all. Um, I think obviously it's been growing massively over the last five to seven years. Um, when I was a young player and I, I was trying to sort of find my way. Um, the, the American league hadn't sort of ever been put, pushed across it over in Europe. So I always sort of only concentrated in the Southern hemisphere in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and then also Europe. And that was, that was sort of my, my whole goal of, of being a rugby player was playing in Europe. And if not, I wanted to go down, down South. So um, yeah, when, when I started seeing a lot more of the, American rugby started creeping up, especially on social media. Um, you know, I thought, why not? It'd be something different. You know, I've always wanted to travel. I always wanted to move over to America as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought, why, why not do it? Especially uh, especially at the time of the where the world was at that point as well, coming off of COVID. No one really knew how, how things were going to go, how, how everyone was going to react. Um, and within the last three years, the way that this league has grown already is is great. It's great to see. So, you know, hopefully in another three, five, ten years that this league starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, you've got enough states over here to start making multiple big leagues. So um, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. I mean, obviously you joined in 2021. That that year was was okay but not not the greatest year on the field and then 2022 a very rough year on the field only three wins that year and things have turned around a little bit this year uh, new head coach Josh Sims and I really wanted to get your thoughts on like the new culture at Old Glory and you know what's what's changed what's different this year to last uh yeah so obviously that my first year it wasn't it wasn't the worst of years obviously there was still quite a big mix between professional players and players that are still sort of trying to find their way if they wanted to be a player or not um last year yeah like you said that was that was tough that was um that was a hard one to keep going but what the coaches actually built that that year has assisted us this year um you know to to go on a 11 losing streak 
you know that 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 does take uh, it it takes a big a big impact mentally. You know, um, you're thinking, why am I doing this? Is this much fun? Am I enjoying it anymore? Um, but then that's obviously set us up for for what we have this year. Um, you know, we we won our first game and then lost a few. So we a few of the boys that were here last year started going, oh no, is this is this sort of the same sort of thing? But because we stuck together so well last year, we didn't look outside. We didn't try and find the answers that could have been. We just actually nailed down and, and decided what we needed to do. And obviously that, that comes through the coaches. Um, but at the end, the players are the ones that have to have to actually do it. So once we actually start believing a bit, actually figuring out where we're really good, where areas that we need to improve, um, yeah, so this year has just been obviously ups and downs, but it's been more of a constant. It hasn't been as much of a bigger rise and a bigger fail. So we're staying in that line, but hopefully now we're we're understanding what we can do, uh, and we're actually on that steady climb and, and always always moving upwards rather than actually dropping down and coming back up. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, because as a fan and looking in from the outside, you. You know, we see new head coach, we see a bunch of players have been there for a while leaving, um, and then a bunch of new players, especially the, the Argentinians. And, you know, it has the appearance of a lot of of change and turnover. But from what you're saying, it's it's actually the that there's a lot of continuity in the team. Yeah, I mean, starting the front row, the front row from last week, there's only one new person in there. That was Nick. Second rows are, are both new. Obviously, we, we've been suffering in the second row this year. Um, and then back row, bit of a bit of change around there. Jammer's, Jammer's the only one who's there from last year. But then our backs are a little bit more consistent. So, you know, there are still a, a strong core of players that, were here from the last two years and then there's also still a strong core of players that were here from the very first season of old glory so you've got a, a group of people being brought in this year you've got people from the very first year and you've got people from in between so everything that's been built up over these last was it five years six years everybody understands where the club's coming from and nobody nobody's believing that they're bigger than the club which is which is pretty good. Yes, and I want to talk a little bit more about um, transition to, to this season. Three weeks ago, record was two and five. Big, massive game against New York at home. Pulled out a, a really good win. That that second half was was really fun to watch. I guess I mean, talk us through kind of what, from your point of view, what kind of happened in that game that led to that maybe that turnaround in the second half where things seemed to all of a sudden click. Um, I think speaking to the players about it, who, who, who are playing, nobody felt like they were down at halftime, which even though we were, I, to have that mentality when they came in of knowing actually we're still massively in this, I, at no point did anybody start going, all right, here we go. This is it's going to be another one. Cause I mean, what the New York scored in the first two minutes, didn't they? From a mall try. And I was I was up in the stands thinking, 
oh no, it's, a, it's about to happen again. So we come in at half time. Obviously, there's words words exchanged from coaches to players and players to players. Um, but then the buzz that obviously the the coaches then leave and then down to the players that have their final say, and then they go back out. The buzz that was around in that halftime changing room was it was awesome. It was awesome to be. It was just awesome to be in there, even if I wasn't in that circle. Just feeling that energy and and the amount of excitement to come out in the second half um, was yeah it was it was it was great to feel and it was great to see that doesn't matter if you're down at half time you come back in and then some of the defensive sets that we put in obviously gives you a massive boost and then you can start playing more more of your attack on uh, your style of attack so yeah obviously there's right time right right place to um, yeah exchange words um and i think that was the right time and the right place and it, it definitely uh definitely lifted the players yeah yeah you, you mentioned a little bit and, and alistair asked Alistair, you can go down sorry i want to jump on this one quickly you mentioned some of the some of the there was some changes with continuity and one of the big changes in the front row and when we mean big i mean romero herrera i mean the guy is a massive dude apparently his first game they didn't have a jersey that fit him so they had to stitch together a couple other jerseys did you guys have a chuckle over that the fact that he didn't have a jersey that, that could fit him um i think we did yeah um, i think it's the same with some of the training kit as well some of the training training kit doesn't fit him so um we're stitching multiple ones together i'm not too sure about that um if it's true that'd be that's that's pretty cool that's something to, to take to the grave isn't it of yeah i'm so big i had to get multiple shirts fitted to me um but yeah i mean he's he's a big man he's a big man he's been playing in france for a while so he's been on that french diet um, a lot of bread and cheese i believe so um <laughs> yeah he, he's a big guy and obviously puts in a lot of weight into into the scrums yeah you talk a little bit about uh, at the lock position. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how your role has changed given your um, their, your injury. But you know, a lot of some, some changes in the lock position, right? Colin Gross, who was a guy that was drafted, probably I think going into it, fans expected him to be more of a reserve, and then he was thrust into a starting role because of some personnel stuff. And Gwali um, seems to be out for a little bit, and Kyle Bailey got picked up. Um, how does the team adjust to just um, the changes like that, right? Where it's like, obviously we know injuries are going to happen in, in rugby, but what's the mentality to deal with? Hey, who's running out at four and five this week because, you know, of selections or, or things like that, or is it just a next man up type of mentality? Yeah, uh, it's definitely a next man up, you know, and I think a few people have been caught off guard from it this year of, wow, it can really change within a training session of who's starting, who's on the bench and who's actually coming up. So I think everybody, everybody understands it's a contact sport. You're going to get hurt no matter what. It's just when it gets caught by surprise or it's something that's, you know, it's not expected. Like, say you're carrying an injury for a bit and then it just gives way. Um, but yeah, I think it is, it's just the, and everybody has to be the same in, in, in the team of, you have to know your role, your responsibilities in one, if not two positions. If you don't, well, then you're most likely not going to play. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's still business. 
and you want to be putting the best team out there to obviously make the most amount of money. So if you're if you're not knowing your job, it is a job at the end of the day. If you don't know your job, you won't get selected. So I think when it it started happening to a few boys, everybody sort of went, "Oh, right, let me let me make sure I, I do know my roles, responsibilities, and and actually go forward with it." So yeah, it, it's. It is tough, but it's also like you said, like Colin has has taken a massive step up for someone who's just come out of out of college rugby to then I think he played one game on the bench and then from there he was starting. So he um yeah, he he's been doing he's he's been doing really well. So obviously, Stan, this is um it's the second season where you've gotten a pretty bad injury that's taking you out of the of the line out for the rest of the season. And sort of changed your role on the team. So can you talk us through how your role has changed with the team and sort of what you're doing now to to still be part of it all and to, to support the team? Yeah, so uh, at the moment, I'm helping out uh, with the, around the line-out sort of stuff. Um, so I, you know, my, my main role is um, sometimes come up with like, the new line-outs and how we're, how we're going to beat the opposition. Um, but then it's also um, identifying what the, like for example, Dallas, what Dallas is going to come up with us as attacking us and also defending. So I go through the last three or four games and then sort of find out their their key features, things that they do repeatedly, like if they've got any special moves. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's sort of around my role at the moment. Um, and then when it's, when it's going on onto phase play and stuff like that, I'm just I'm at I'm on the sideline just seeing if I can see anything. Then I I can feed it either in straight into the players or I can feed it into the coaches. And but that side's a lot a lot less. Um, my my main role at the moment is to make sure the forwards are as happy as possible around the lineouts. Make sure they all understand the role. Make sure it's as clear as possible. Um, and then if they have any questions, then then I can, I can answer it for them. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's mainly my role at the moment. Um, obviously not being able to jump, but I feel like I've got enough experience around that lineup side of things that I can I can help with other players. Yeah. Do you think that because you coach Penn State in the in the fall in the off season, do you feel like that experience coaching the the college players in the off season has sort of helped you? In your transition to more of a coaching role this season, yeah. So I've done a bit of coaching before when I was back in England. I was um, I was help, helping coach with one of my friends, Surrey University. Um, so we had uh, two, maybe three teams if we were lucky. Um, but yeah, we, so we had two to three teams, and we were training a couple of times a week. But when it goes into Penn State, and I start, I coach every day of the week uh bar wednesdays actually um and then obviously the game on saturday so yes it has definitely helped me it has definitely helped me in and the way that you learn that not everybody learns the same way um some people learn by doing some people learn by you telling them some people learn by writing down in the books some people learn by just watching film over and over again um for me I always had to, I always had to do it. So I used to make out a, a little five to fifteen meter mark in my in my living room, 
and then I used to walk through every single lineup. You know, lineups can get pretty complicated. So for me, that was the way I I understood it best. Um, but I know some players that have to write it down because if they don't write it down, they feel like they don't learn it. So that was one of the big things that helped me to where I am at the moment with how people learn and actually not jumping on them straight away because they haven't learned their stuff. It's like, well, why haven't you? And what can I do to help you? So, for example, uh, I, I make presentations um, with the movements uh, every week, and that that helps some people. Some people find that really helpful. Other people, not at all. But as long as I can help everybody in a different way, then that, then I'm doing my job to the best I can. Stan, I got a quick question. Sorry, Astra. I got a quick question about the lineups and the forwards because when I played years ago, I was a back, and my role there was, you know, get out of the way of the big guys and make sure I don't drop the ball. So in the lineout, I've always wanted to know, like, because you talked about studying the film and the opponents, is there like a? And I love the dark arts behind the scrum and everything that goes on there. But for the lineout, is there like a an art or a science to like cracking the code, if you will, of the opponents? Maybe like signals or calls. And then once you figure that out, does that happen like pre-game or sometimes it's a matter of observing it in the game and then like trying to relay that message to the players, whether you're in the game or, or watching from the side? I'm just curious. Yeah, so it's a bit of both. So there are some teams that will have uh, calls that they keep in every single week. Um, and the things to do there is listen to the game, game they film and you can actually hear them call it. Um, so you have to try and listen to that. And then some teams, they do uh, non-verbal calls. So they might put their hands on the hips or they might put their hand in the air or something like that or give a nod to the hooker and it'll go up in certain spaces. Um, so there, there are um, there are loads of different ways that you can call lineouts. Um, some people pre-call them. How we used to do last year, we used to get... So lineout caller would tell the forwards. Loose head would run to the hooker, tell the hooker, then come back in and then everybody else would go in. This year we've changed. So this year we now call when we're in the lineout. Um, we have our our own special calls um, that we that we try to hide as much as we can because obviously people do clock on to it. Um, but yeah, there, there are multiple ways, and there are there are things that you can do. Um, I remember there was a, a team that I used to play for, and as you're walking in, you used to put your hands on your hips like you were tired. But that was a call to hit hit it right at the back um, without calling anything, without any other triggers. So, I mean, you can walk along with your hands on your hips and act like you're out of breath, and then you're catching them off guard to, to win an easy ball. So there are there are loads of different ways and, and more ways that I've definitely explained, but yeah, you know, I don't think we have enough time for those. But like you said in the scrums, there are some dark arts to it, which is, which is pretty cool, and you, and you do learn those throughout the year. Um, yeah, it's... It's, for me, it's one of the most exciting parts of rugby because that's around my one of my main roles as a, as a second manager. Do you have any advice for a fan who doesn't necessarily know as much about rugby? Watching the scrums, it can sometimes seem like the result is is somewhat random. Is do you have any advice for someone with less rugby knowledge on what to watch for in a in a scrum? Um. <laughs> It's most of the time. It's the team that is going forward will win a scrum or a uh, will win a penalty or a free kick. Um, 
that doesn't mean that you're go you're running forward and you're you're driving them completely off the ball. It could purely be on the on their set and when they engage and both sides fall down, it could actually just be the team that falls slightly more forward than the others. Um so what we used to get taught is as soon as the scrum hits the if it once it collapses, the second row and back row carry on pushing. So even though the front rows head the dug into the dirt and they're, they're sort of eating a bit of mud. The second rows are still pushing to make it look like we were more dominant. So that's normally the way it goes. Um, and then it's it's normally whoever's not pushing straight or the least obvious not pushing straight. Um, well, sorry, the most obvious of not pushing straight will get, get penalised. So. If you see a tight head whose hips are out at 45 degree and his head pushing all the way into the into the hooker, he's most likely going to get pinged. Um, but again, it's down to the refs and what the ref sees. So the ref could see something else completely. Um, and I think I think the the front rows through the the the, it, the evolution of the game have made it so complicated that nobody actually knows who wins except for them. <laughs> So I, I think it was definitely a thing that Frank Rose brought in and, and they've made sure that, you know, they, they're always going to be be made sure to be uh, brought, in, brought in as a coach in the years to come. It's very, very smart from them. So they might not look it, but they are very smart. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a question about that because sometimes you see a scrum and you see a breakdown and you're like, I have a feeling one of the one of the sides is slowing the game down and doing that on purpose to give their team a break. And I know it's not easy, obviously, for the forwards to push in every time, but there's got to be some gamemanship or some some in-game strategy going on there to slow things down a little bit without revealing too much of the. Of yeah, the I mean, obviously the front rows. So let's take for for example example after the Utah game. Uh, so first half of the Utah game, we we realised their heavy bind. They were getting such a heavy bind on us that we couldn't actually get a set, and then we we're on the back foot the entire time. So you see, in the first half, that we we're we we're getting pushed off our ball, but we we're still winning. So we come in at half time, and then we start debriefing and breaking down what's happening from what we're seeing from the outside, but also what the players are feeling. So we're saying to them, and we said their bind is really strong, and then as soon as they put their feet back, you can see them get that extra two inches of lean. And we're getting compressed so that we can't get out of the gates and we can't hit as hard. So we said, all right, first scrum in the second half, we're going to stand up once they get their bind. Because then it shows the rest they're not actually supporting their weight. And they're, not, they're, they're over-leaning and then then we should get a free kick or a penalty. So we do it and we, we're we actually down on our, our own five-metre line. We stand up, we get a free kick. We've just exited. So from what we spoke about in half-time, we then, the players then put it into practice into the into the game and then what makes it really good is that the coaches have seen something the players have executed we've 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 succeeded in that part as a team and working together and actually believing and, and trusting each other so the front rows might after through the second half and saying actually let's go after them on this one like we're feeling really good we've stood up on a couple let's go after them which we did and we won a penalty so it's it's obviously relying on players' knowledge and also experience. As a second row, all you're told is push. Push as hard as you can. That's all you need to do. The front rows will deal with all the technical bits. Back row, push. That's your job. 
And then if you're not pushing hard enough, then they blame you, which is fair enough. But if you're pushing as much as you can, you'll never normally see a, a prop turn around and say, well, the reason we went down is your fault because that's your good pressure. That's really good. Keep it there. Because then he can, he knows what he can then do. So, yeah, it's there are, like we said, it's dark arts, but it's also knowing when to bring those dark arts. Um, I think there was, there was a team that I used to play for, and we used to call it Deadwood, or slowing down the game. So as soon as you hear Deadwood, the game cannot continue with a hooker or a prop that is down. So you'd normally get a prop or a hooker just sort of go down, oh, my shoulders are, shoulders are a bit sore. The AT will run on, give a bit of ice at him and go, okay, you're good to go. All right, we're good to go. But during that time, the rest of the team is getting their breaths, making sure we know what we're trying to do in this next phase, next 10, 15 minutes. All right, and then now let's go and execute. So there are ways, good ways to slow that, uh, the game down, but then there's also games where you just want to keep it moving because you're on such a, such a good ride. Alistair, I think I've learned more about rugby in the last five minutes than I have in, in all the years I've played it. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever considered taking up commentary after rugby? Yeah. Oh, the ability to explain the game is is on point. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, but I think because I, I'd get so carried away with it. And obviously, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an English guy who likes to um, express my feelings, but not through being censored. So uh, I don't. I think I think we'd have to have a, a little bleep button sort of on hand the whole time because uh, yeah, it would it would be otherwise it would be pretty expensive for getting the fines from me. I would watch that broadcast. <laughs> I'd just be sitting in the corner with myself and my little YouTube channel instead. There you go. <laughs> Want to talk a little bit? Move uh, off the field here a little bit in my in my brief research here. I saw that. Uh, I guess you helped your brother with his uh, tree cutting business, but he calls himself a tree surgeon. Yep. Is that to tell us more about that? And is that like, you know, when you're done playing rugby and hopefully it's, you know, two decades from now or whatever, tree surgeon, what, what is, what is that? I'm fascinated. The tree surgeon. Uh, I know some people call it a doctor of trees. So I know you just try and be, make it sound really, really uh, posh, but at the end of the day, uh, so his business um, is to to look after trees as much as we can. But then there's times where we have to cut down cut down trees. Um, but yeah, it's the main thing that we did. I say the main thing. We we took down trees. We we pollarded them. We made sure that they're nice and healthy. We deadwooded. So everything that we did was to try and prolong the life of trees as much as possible. As soon as uh, trees were dead, dying, or dangerous, then that's when we'd have to start cutting them down or at least making them smaller. So our last, last option was always to try and take down a tree. Um, but yeah, sometimes it was it was needed. But when you do take down a tree, it does make for a really good video. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I got into it during COVID back in England. Um, and yeah, my, my brother helped me out when when there wasn't any rugby going on. Uh, so, yeah, I got I got my license to be a, a tree surgeon, or also they also call him an arborist as well. So, mm-hmm. we uh, yeah, I started working for him, and I actually found something that I enjoyed just as much, if not more, than rugby. Um, you know, it's outdoors the entire time. You're you're working with dangerous dangerous machinery. 
you're keeping that adrenaline flowing and then you're also working with your mates and your brother so yeah, yeah i absolutely loved it I was poking around on your Instagram and I saw a picture of a motorcycle. <clears throat> Are you a motorcycle enthusiast? Do you own a couple bikes? Uh, I I have done in the past. I've got one here at the moment, and during this bye week, I've been I've been fixing it up. Uh, nice. So yeah, that, that one on my Instagram, I bought back last year, and then uh, it was a, a bit, so I say 1993 BMW K75s, which is a lot of words, but for 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 a medium sized bike, but yeah, it's a it's a touring bike that I'm turning into a cafe racer. So I've I've chopped off the back end, um, I've modified the seats, some of the handlebars, taking off a load of the bodywork. Um, doing some painting today on it, and then I tried my hand at some electronics, but turns out I'm not very good at it. So uh, I think that's it. I'm going to have to give it to a guy to to do some of the the light work for it. But yeah, I, I love my bikes. I've been a big fan of them for years, and then I got my license a few years ago, and yeah, sort of never looked back. Very cool. My dad, uh, he collects, um, I guess they're considered antique bikes, I guess any bike that's 25 years old or something, but he's got a couple of uh, Nortons, actually. I think that's a British motorcycle company. He's got a... Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's lovely. They're, uh, yeah. yeah, they went out, went out of production 30 years ago, but they are, yeah, yeah they're, they're, that was... Norton was the first bike to set the um, land speed record, actually, for a motorcycle. motorcycle. All I remember is just him in the garage, always working on it. I'm like, Dad, do you ever ride this thing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've had this now for, I don't know, oh, God, it's coming on to six months. It's still rideable, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it needs a tune-up. It needs it needs a few lights and, and to be uh, registered properly, but... Taking it around say, all those changes it stuff. doesn't sound street legal but maybe it is <laughs> no well it, it definitely want to get be. you in trouble with your. it, with it your will team. it will be at some point but at the moment it it hasn't been on the road for a few months so now just riding around the car park making sure everything still stays on when you take it for a ride yeah so uh going back to to rugby just quickly is there um you've been in the u.s for a little while now there's a uh, you're gonna become qualified to play for the u.s eventually um if you stick around here any plans to put your hands up to the eagles if they want you yeah i mean if if i'm i'm still playing and my body still allows me then yeah i mean i wouldn't mind it would be uh you know representing the country as you know on on the stage of a international you know it's, it's pretty cool i experienced it in the age groups um and i enjoyed it there and you know i definitely wouldn't be against it um you know if it makes a makes a citizenship come around a little bit quicker then yeah why not <laughs> yeah so pl you're planning to stick around then yeah i hope so my, my girlfriend lives here and, and we're pretty happy and we're, we're trying to find areas that would be looking to to settle down in as well so um yeah she's yeah she likes it around this area i prefer sort of mountains so um yeah we'll, we'll see what the uh the middle ground is i think it will probably be by the sea where she wants to go so oh there's bits of the sea that are close to mountains yeah we, we uh we had a few looks at down at like north carolina south carolina um but yeah I, I i quite enjoy sort of all the seasons and i don't mind the snow i enjoy the snow so but she's she's a florida girl so she's uh she doesn't mind it but definitely gets cold quickly
in your uh, in your time in the DC area, do you guys have uh, do you have a favorite place you guys like to go out and eat? Is there a favorite restaurant or type of food? That you uh, yeah, there's there's a Korean barbecue that we we like to go to um, called Nine Two Nine Two Korean Barbecue, um, which is which is pretty decent down in um, it's about uh, not sure the exact area, but it's about ten minutes away from Arlington. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty cool. There's a uh, a local Thai place uh, just over here, up in uh, Rockville, uh, that we we really like going to. To be fair, we we started getting into making our own sushi quite a bit at the moment. Mm. We actually made it last nice. night. Um, so yeah, we we make our own um, nori's, uh, make our own spring rolls, and then we we're, we're starting to try and do some other hand rolls as well at the moment. But yeah, it's uh. I, I'm, 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 I like my cooking, so I, I quite enjoy cooking as well. So, um, yeah, I think we did homemade pizzas the other night, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we we definitely put them on too high and they've got about while well, we're watching Ted Lasso, so we burnt the bottoms completely. <laughs> so, uh, was it the best pizza? But it was we, we were enticed by Ted Lasso. Well, if if you like seafood and you haven't yet, you got to get the Chesapeake Bay crabs with all day. That's a summer tradition. You get a you get a couple dozen or a bushel, a picnic table. You lay out the newspaper. You dump it on there. You have a nice adult beverage or a few. You got some butter. It's a, it's an afternoon. It's an experience. If you haven't done it yet, you got to do it. And there's also places around here where you can go do it. Sit by the bed. Yeah, so. we we did it. Uh, was it last year? Yeah, it must have been last year. We did it up in Penn State. We brought up a few a few crabs for um, our, our friends up there. Who I coach with, um, and yeah, we had a had a big uh, crab feast, pretty much, yeah. which is uh, which is pretty cool. But yeah, we uh, my me and my girlfriend we did a East Coast um, drive, pretty much. So we went from DC all the way up through, well, up into Montreal, pretty much. So we we ticked off every state going up, um, and yeah, every time we stopped off, we stopped in Maine, New Hampshire, and we did uh lobster rolls oh, yeah. uh, did all the clam chowders and so that that was pretty cool that was really nice to do okay hey, you got any other questions man no i think i think we've taken enough of this all right that was our interview yeah. with stan south nah, AKP. That was thank a you very much it's been, a, been an absolute pleasure and i gotta say i came out with a lot more respect for stan just to his uh his approach to the game and his thoughtfulness with the questions i think he's you know his post playing Daisy he's probably got a career as a as a commentator or you know as a play-by-play person but two I think what stood out for me was um, the his comments about the team culture it seems like this team and this coaching staff have the players in a really good place considering everything that happened last year the tough stretch they had four and five right in the thick of things when you talked about that New York game almost being like a, a turning point they went into the sheds there was no quit in them. They came out firing 30 unanswered points against New York and, of course, the big win over Utah. But what was the biggest takeaway um, in your mind from the interview with Stan? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Stan is a, such an insightful player. And, like, as a talking to him, I've, you know, there's things when you schedule one of these interviews, that there's things you expect to learn. There's things you expect the players to say. But but Stan, is, he's gone far beyond that. and. I really feel like I personally learned a lot from that interview. 
Um, and yeah, the, the culture thing is one of those things where you feel like that's got to be the difference this year. You know, there's so many players back from last year and, and Stan was talking about the continuity and, um, in the players and, and yet they've had such a different season this year. It's felt so different. And, you know, it, yeah, we're only at four wins so far and five losses, still technically a losing record. But this this season has been so different for the team. And it, it really does have so much to do with that culture. And hopefully they can keep that going. I mean, you know, you hear stuff about a winning culture and establishing a winning culture and that being important to championship teams. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm perfectly frank, there's, it's unlikely we're going to win the championship. It's unlikely we're going to be lifting the shield this year, but you know, it sets us up well for next year. You know, maybe next year we, you do have a real shot. Maybe next year you, you get some more roster changes. Josh Sims really gets a chance to, to make the roster his own and, and, you know, maybe maybe that if you if we can keep that culture, that that competitive culture, and that that culture of really, um, you know, the players really striving to be at their best, then you know maybe next year's our year. Nice. I'd like to focus on this year because I think we've got an exciting stretch here, and I think it starts first by taking a look currently at the standings in the Eastern Conference, right? We talked about New England. They're in first place. They've got 38 points. We're probably, Old Glory DC is probably not going to chase down New England, so let's not focus our efforts there. Number two in the standings in the Eastern Conference, Noel Gold, 26 points. They got their bonus point win over Toronto, which was expected. Third place, Old Glory DC, 25 points. New York in fourth place with 23 points. You talked about game in hand. Over there, we're not going to see them again. Big loss for them against New England. Fifth place, Rugby ATL. They've got 20 points. And then Toronto with eight points. Things are starting. There's starting to be some separation. I think we're actually starting to see some some clear divisions then in the, in the chase for that second and third spot because both of those, I think, are still going to be open. We may not know who the two and the three seeds will be until maybe the last game of the regular season in the Eastern Conference. Potentially, potentially. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about it. But let's take a look at this final stretch of games for Old Glory DC. Starting with the game this week. They are on the road against Dallas. This game doesn't look as easy as it may have looked a couple of weeks ago. A couple of thoughts before we actually jump into the preview on Dallas. What are your thoughts on Dallas over the last two or three weeks? Yeah, they've certainly been getting better in some ways but I mean to be honest they really just remind me of us last year they, they've, they've clearly got a lot of individual talent they've clearly got a lot of potential and I think that's the thing you see every time the reason that the way people talk about them has changed so much from you know this is a joke team that's you know an easy win to this is going to be a really hard competitive game it's it really shows through, but but ultimately, like they just don't have the cohesion as a team. They just can't put all of, string together all of those individual parts into into a cohesive whole. You know, it's they're less than the sum of their their players. I think. Yeah, 
And then if we look after Dallas, we have our next home game against the New England Free Jacks. I don't want to get into that one too much. We'll, we'll save that one for, for next week and just some of the, the strategy involved with that one. But then if you look after that, short turnaround the following week um, at Toronto, I believe that's a Thursday night game. Which... Yeah, we go from a Sunday night game against New England to a, a Thursday night game against Toronto. So that's that's literally a few days of recovery. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like they're both at home either. Yeah. You know, it's, we're playing New England at home and then we're immediately a few days later um, on the road in Toronto. I'll call those must-win games simply because um, if you want to be considered a serious playoff contender, you can't. You can't. At this point in the season, we can't afford to drop games against certain teams. Dallas and Toronto, I feel like I'm sorry. They're just, they're not in it. Those are games that Old Glory DC has to win. Has to win. I think I think they have to not lose. I feel like I would describe it less as a must win and more a can't lose. You hmm. can't be losing those games. Yeah. Like you should win if you and if you don't, you're you're just not serious. That's the Yeah. And then look at the next four games. If you if you want to talk and we're gonna get this in a little bit, because I'm gonna go on my soapbox here in a little bit and talk about um, being battle tested going into whether it makes more sense to be battle-tested, fighting it out week in and week out, or running away with the division here. But if you look at the next four games after that Toronto game, at home against Seattle, and Seattle looked really good against Dallas. They always play well at home. Then at NOLA, which is going to be such a pivotal game that's probably going to determine, I would say, the second seed in the Eastern Conference. And then on the road... Yeah, sorry. On the road against Houston, again, a a contender in the Western Conference, a really ability for us to see how we compare against Western Conference playoff teams, and then closing it out at home against Rugby ATL, where that could be a game, Atlanta may still be in the mix there for the third seed, or trying to knock us out of the second seed, right, if things play out the way we'd like them to, but... If you look at all of this, <laughs> one, I'm, again, I'm just excited that Old Glory DC has meaningful games that they are playing, right, compared to last year, where it was more of like, let's see what we can build towards. But how do you expect all of this to play out over the next seven weeks? Yeah, so, it, you know, like we said, Dallas, Toronto, those are the can't-lose games. And then you're going to have some really tough games. New England is going to be at the top of the table, although they might... We've also seen teams start to to get a bit complacent towards the end of the season when they feel really comfortable in their playoff spot. It might be a bit early for them to be getting complacent, but we, we've seen it before. Um, and we, we played them close at home, so I feel like we've got a shot in that New England game, but we'll see. Seattle... That one's an interesting one. I have a hard time really getting an idea of how good Seattle is. I feel like that could be it. That could go our way or it could also be a disaster. It's hard to tell. I mean, Houston on the road is going to be tough. Nola on the road is going to be really tough. Um, and then, yeah, getting Atlanta at home. You, I feel like we should win that one. Um, but, but you never know what's what's going to happen at the end there i'm hopefully by the time we're playing atlanta we're secure enough playoffs it doesn't really matter but but it could matter yeah absolutely yeah i think i think every game matters at this point i love how you phrased can't afford to lose as opposed to 
you know, must win. I like that 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 tweak there um, a lot. So, what needs to happen for Old Glory DC to make the playoffs? What are kind of the odds based on our record going into the final seven matches? Break it, break this down for us, because this is when you really get into the numbers, and I love geeking out on this. So yeah. please geek out here. Yeah. So I tweaked my uh, my uh, Monte Carlo system a little bit to spit out some different odds. Okay. And I looked at the like the final record that Old Glory is going to need to have to to make the playoffs, and basically how how are we going to need to do over these next seven matches in order to to make the playoffs? So if we go if we go zero and seven, if we drop every game, we've only got a two percent chance of making it. It's not good. <laughs> not good at all. Only win one game, or we've got a nine percent chance, which is surprisingly high. Um, if we go two and five, we've got a forty-three percent chance of making it in. So, hmm. you know, odds would be against us, but we would still, you know, depending on this is mostly down to bonus points. Basically, um, we've got a really good record of getting bonus points. So if we we can go two and five, but get the bonus points, we've got a chance of getting in. Um, but then when it it really swings in our favor, if we can go three and four, if we can win at least three games, we've got a seventy-nine. Percent chance, so that's that's where the odds really flip in our favor. And then if we go, if we win four games or more, like we're pretty much guaranteed ninety-eight percent plus chance. So, so that's what we should be aiming for: at least three, preferably four wins. So essentially, if I'm looking at it right now, here are the three wins: right, Dallas, Toronto, and then that Nola game on the road. We we win those three games. That gives us what a seventy nine percent chance of making the playoffs, right? Yep. And then, okay, if you can beat Nola on the road, there's no reason why Oglory then couldn't, at the end of the season, also beat Rugby ATL. Yeah. Which gives us, according to your model, a ninety eight percent chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. Oh boy. That, uh... And if you imagine, if you imagine like New England is beatable, if we could beat Dallas, pull it out against New England, and then beat Toronto, you know, we would go into the that last four game stretch really just needing to win one game to, yeah. to solidify our spot and walk away with it. And that's that would be a great place to be. Controlling your destiny and not requiring other teams to help you out. I'm sure there'll still be some jockeying for positions potentially there, but. The ability to say, yeah, it's on us. If we win this or we win this game, we can secure our place in the playoffs, ideally the number two seed. That's crazy. I don't know if you've calculated this, but I mean, what are the odds that Old Glory actually goes 0-7 over these next seven games? Like, that's got to be less than 1%. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very unlikely. The model thinks it's, it's extremely unlikely. But, um, it's always possible. You never yeah. know. Could be a free COVID outbreak, wipe out half the team, and then suddenly, you know, we're fielding uh, academy team players to, you know, I mean, just ask Toronto. Things can get bad if, if you lose, start losing players. Yeah. So if, if Old Glory goes four and three over the final seven games, 98% chance of, of making the playoffs, that puts Old Glory's final regular season record at eight and eight. Which, hey, a vast improvement 
pun last year, of course. The simple fact that they can have a 98% chance of making the playoffs. I guess you know, my question, that 4-3 and three to finish 8-8, eight and eight, is that qualifying for the playoffs at a minimum third seed, or does that factor in potentially the, the number two seed? That factors in the potential for a number two seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah, it. I didn't break it out by that. It's just, did we make it at all? Yeah. Um, I ran out of time to calculate whether we were going to, our chances at a, hosting a playoff game, because I feel like that would be awesome. Host a playoff game at the Dowdy Field, that would be. Awesome. Oh, man. It's like your blog could see into the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, just imagine if we're talking about potentially hosting a playoff game. That's it's such a change from last year. You know, that's, yeah. that's the thing. You know, it's like yeah, we might end. There's a decent chance we're going to end with a, a losing record this year, technically. But you know, we're competitive. We're we have the chance of getting to the the playoffs. We control our own destiny. On the teams, like that's that makes a difference, and that makes all the differences. I just want, as a fan, for us to, to be in it, and, and we are, and I love it. And that brings up the next question I think is really important here. Would you rather fight it out week in and week out where the, you, know, you may win, you may lose, but you're in every game, or would you rather run away with the standings, not necessarily be tested, so to speak, heading into the playoffs? Which scenario do you prefer? I mean, you know, it's hard to argue with winning. I certainly wouldn't mind if, if Old Glory went on 16-0 and 0, regular season winning streak. You know, it's... But at the same time, it is something that we've seen is that apart from LA winning in 2021, when you look at the Seawolves in 2018, they weren't the best team in the league until they won the the shield you look at them again in 2019 they still weren't the best team in the league but they're the ones who went uplifting the shield you look at new york last year definitely not the best team in the league a long shot but they're the ones who ended up making it through and i do think there is something to be said for being the team that can win and as i as i said before i've looked at the numbers and um, the model tends to get a little inaccurate right towards the end of the season and it's partly because these better teams tend to, to come off the gas a bit. And so they tend to to drop games that against, they tend to drop games against teams that are worse than them. The teams that have just missed out on the playoffs because they don't really need to win those games and the other teams feel like they do. And, you know, maybe that complacency carries over into the, into the playoffs. And it, it says some good things about us. If we're battle tested, if we can go on a good, win streak here, getting get into the playoffs with some momentum and in a good place, then I feel like it, it, it gives reasons for confidence. I think you hit it right there. Reasons for confidence. And yeah, I'd love for Oak Glory to just like run away first place in the Eastern Conference and cruise into the playoffs. But then the flip side of that is I would have much more confidence in a team that has battled week in and week out, has played in games where there's 15 minutes left and they're looking at each other like, hey guys, we need to get this line out. We need to win this scrum. We need to get this ball back and score. 
have have been in situations where they have had to count on each other to win games, to claw back, to know that each outcome is so important, right? And the confidence that comes from knowing that they can meet that challenge and have bested that challenge only happens when you're you're battling neck and neck, week in and week in and out. And I can people I can see people saying, oh well, you know your your win loss record is 500. You're up and down. But again, I think as you mentioned, particularly in the playoffs, that's when you need to put the run on. You can win 10 games in the regular season and not win an MLR Shield. I'm not going to name that team from last year. They're a very good team. There's a reason why they're number one in the Eastern Conference. But I would want a team that is battle-tested, that has come through the fire, so to speak, that has found themselves down, has proven that they can win big games week in and week out and have that confidence that carries over into the playoffs where they can say, okay, guys, let's turn it on and let's get that two or three game win streak. Because that's all you need once you're in the playoffs to get to the MLR Shield, right? I don't care what your record is going into the playoffs. Get to the playoffs, then play your best rugby and go on a run because you had the confidence that you've battled in and out each and every single week. You've had to play new players or you've been down and you lost some you haven't. So you know the taste of defeat and you know how bitter it is and you don't want to taste it again. That's what I want. So that's why I love it week in, week out. And plus, I think for the fans, it's so much more exciting. Again, yes, we want the team to win every single match, but that's not going to happen. Again, I I want the players to feel like we have been through here. We know how to get over this hump. We can do it. So... There you go. Anyway, woo, I'm fired up, AKP. I'm ready to run out there and be on their match day 24. <laughs> Don't put me in. Let me just get on the sideline and, and hype people up. But anyway, okay. All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. We got to talk about Dallas. Let's preview them real quick, and then we'll go into our score prediction and the rest of our uh, quick fire picks for round 12. Dallas, one win, nine losses, nine table points. Certainly far more competitive this season. They almost beat New England there in New England. They got their first win um, recently. They hung with the San Diego Legion uh, to uh, last round. So they're definitely a far more competitive team. But if you look at the standings and you look how things break down, they're still struggling to score. They give up a ton of points still. What's your take on the Dallas Jackals this year? Yeah, I got into it a bit there and earlier and... I, I really think it's that they've got a lot of great individual players and the talent this year. I mean, last year they had the unfortunate accident, took out, you know, a dozen of their players uh, injured for a long stretch. And they, they were bringing in a lot of guys who were not seeing a lot of time on other rosters. They were, they're having to bring in a lot of guys who were are sort of, borderline MLR players or players who, who needed a lot more development. And so that explained a lot of their losses. This year, they've improved their roster a lot. They've got a lot of great new players. Their, their scrum has improved a ton. Uh, but they just still struggle to actually put it together into wins. And I think it's, it's because they don't have connectedness. They don't have those structures that a good team has. And, you know, it's something that we've seen from a glory is when, when a team's structures collapse, when, you know, they're disconnected on defense, when, you know, on attack, their players, the other players aren't quite where the, the ball carrier expects them to be and not quite ready for the offloads and that sort of stuff. It's very difficult to, you can do a certain amount of 
of what you know magic you can do a certain amount of of lob it to a guy and hope he catches it and and that's how they're able to make their scores is just just awesome displays of of individual talent but it's difficult for them to to string together enough of those to make it all the way down the field and into the end zone for the try yeah yeah dallas is uh yeah, I think you said a lot of good individual pieces. Uh, they're the number one overall draft pick. Sam Gala has been a, a great pickup for them. I gotta imagine the men's Eagles are taking a look at him. Some interesting pieces there in the back line. They like to do some kick chase, so certainly Oglory will have to keep their their eye on that. But let's move into our match score prediction for this. What does your model have um, as a as the prediction for this game? And then we'll jump into your pick. Your score prediction so the model has uh, has us winning old glory dc by five points which is a lot of home field advantage built in for, for dallas there yeah what do you think personally i don't think it's going to be that close i think we win by a couple of tries i think much like when we were playing our last match against Utah. Yes. Utah. That's what we played. <laughs> Our last match against Utah. I think that I think that we're going to they're going to put seem seem they're going to seem to put a lot of pressure. They're going to seem to be able to work their way down the field, but they're just gonna be frustrated at the last minute and then our our scores are going to be quick, they're gonna be explosive. There's going to be moments where we just find gaps in the the Dallas defense go right through for a score. I expect a lot of long running rugby from Kenny Lasanga. I expect um, Talatain is going to have a great game. I think it's going to be one of those where it feels like Dallas should have scored more, but they they won't. And then you know, right at the end, we're, we're going to grab a try or two and just really put it away. I think this is a. Um... My expectation for this one is for Old Glory DC to get a five-pointer here. This has got to be a five-point win, ten-point win. Um, Dallas gives up points, um, so Old Glory should be able to score on them. It could be you know, a back-and-forth affair in the first 40, 45, 50 minutes or so, but certainly I think a, a five-pointer is for the taking. I mean, each point, table point is valuable. I think getting a win would be great. Four points, obviously, you know, it needs to happen, but I think a five-pointer here needs to happen. I, I agree. I think Old Glory will ultimately take control of this, much like they did the, the Utah game. I think their their defense will probably start to tighten up and shut things down in the second half. And yeah, I like Old Glory in this one probably by twelve. I could see this being like a like a forty twenty-eight type score where Old Glory seems to have some no difficulty scoring points, and and that's that's my take on it there. So. Five pointer. I'd agree. Gotta have it. All right. Let's move into our quick fire picks for round 12 of MLR. And again, it's another week of Buy Mageddon, as the Fantasy Rucker Show has called it, because there are what, four teams on buy in round 11 and another four teams on buy in round 12. So only four games. Uh, this time, <laughs> the schedule is a little more favorable. Some Saturday evening games, and then a Sunday afternoon game, which I think works better for most people who want to be able to watch things. So let's start. Round 12 kicks off 
Rugby Atlanta versus the Chicago Hounds. That's a Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern time kickoff for Atlanta. First road game for Chicago in like five weeks. What does the model say in an AKP? What's your What's your pick? So the model is saying Atlanta by seven points, and I think that's that's probably what it's going to be. I, Atlanta is going to be feeling the pressure right now. Their playoff odds are hanging by a thread. They need to be getting every point win that they can, and so I expect them to to really lay it on thick here. I expect maybe defense to be a little more optional as they really try and, you know, they need at least four tries. And so I expect them to to really be going for, for those tries and for the win. I'll take Atlanta by as well. Yeah, I think this is a game that Atlanta needs to win. Um, they'll be at home. Chicago... It's a squad. They've got some reinforcements that they picked up off their off their their bye week, but I, I think there's that lack of cohesion, the continuity for that team. That you know they'll hang around. They've been hanging around, you know, 55, 60 minutes. That I think rugby ATL pulls this one off. Yeah, I think they win by. I'll have them win by five points. I think it could be could be close, but Atlanta in control for the most part. Um, Dallas, D.C., we talked about that. That's a Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. And then Saturday night, this is going to be a fun one. Utah Warriors at home against the San Diego Legion. That's a Saturday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. AKP, what does the model say about this one? The model has San Diego by four. I think... It's going to be an interesting one, though, because Utah, right up until they played us, was looking really hot, and they've they've now had a week off for that. Are they going to come back and be on fire? They, I mean, just like Atlanta, they can't really afford to keep losing games. They are they are right on the edge of being of qualifying for the. They have to be either Houston or Seattle in the standings, so. I'm going to take Utah by three points. I think they find a way to, to edge this one out just as two. AKP, I love that pick. And I, I was hoping you weren't going to go there because that's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> I think, uh, look, there, uh, there's so many reasons why. <laughs> there's so many reasons why San Diego probably should win this game, right? I think on paper they're a better team. But going into it, this is a game that Utah cannot afford to lose. They're. they're their slim chances of hanging in the playoff race. They're eight. They trail Houston by by um, eight points, which uh, is massive. And Houston is not playing um, in in round twelve, so they have an opportunity here to to get back in, back into that. Another team that isn't playing in in round twelve is the Seattle SeaWolves, and I think that factors into why I think Utah can win this game because San Diego um, right now they're six points ahead of uh, Seattle that should San Diego drop this one against Utah, they're still going to remain in first place. Seattle doesn't have an opportunity to, to leapfrog them in the standings that I think that may factor into San Diego's selection here that I think the game, this game means so much to Utah that they have to win that I'm right there with you, man. I'm riding the Utah Warriors train on this one. I think Utah wins this one by three and it could be, could be a really fun fun match on Saturday night, so we'll see. Um, final 
game of round 12 is another intriguing one. This is a Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. The New York Ironworkers versus Nola Gold, AKP. What does the model say about this one? The model has Nola by six points. So I've had this take since preseason. I I don't think New York is, is that good, and they got a lot of people at the, the beginning of the season, but now that the league has sort of figured them out, they're struggling. I'm going to stick with that, I think. But, I mean, they New York has it in them to win this game, absolutely. And they're really going to want to to make up for last week. I mean, no one likes getting shut out. I think they're really going to want to bounce back from that. But at the same time, Nola's been really pretty consistent recently. They've been up and down, just like we have. But recently, they seem to have found a more steady, consistent level. And I'm just going to have to go with Nola on this. I think Nola, three points. Yeah, I agree with you. I think... um... I think you've been right all along about New York not being as good as as they actually... They're not as good as everyone thinks they are. Um, I do think they have the capacity to beat Nola Gold, certainly when they're playing at home. They still have some injury concerns. But in my mind, as an Old Glory DC fan, I'm cheering for Nola Gold simply so that we can have a team kind of eliminated, if you will, from the playoff conversation. Right? We need to start extinguishing the flame you know, eliminating some of these teams who are in that, that chase. And this is a prime opportunity for, for NOLA to really start to bury New York in the standings a little bit. That um, I'm going to cheer for NOLA Gold and optimistic that, that they win this one. So I'm going to say NOLA Gold uh, by six points. Yeah. All right, AKP, that is round 12. Hey, man, give us the final thoughts. Close us out on this episode. So, Old Glory, really well positioned for the playoffs here, uh, but they they can't get complacent. Um, this is the, the final stretch, the make or break, put your money where your mouth is time, and let's let's hope the money goes right where it needs to go to, to get us in. I don't know if that was a gambling allegory, metaphor, or something, but I'm going to roll with it. Let's roll the dice. Let's keep the good times rolling. Keep that hot hand, no snake eyes if you're a craps player or whatever. But, yes, for Alistair Kirschpool, I am John Fitzpatrick, Old Glory DC, hopeful to keep the good times rolling against Dallas. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone.